0: Thanks, Alex. How's everyone doing this evening? Everyone good? (laughs) Before we start, I'd like to open our time in prayer. Lord, we're grateful for this privilege to be able to, once again, dive into a, a doctrine that is often mocked and neglected because of the way that it's portrayed in our world. Lord, we know that this is an important doctrine because it is in your word. Lord, I pray that as we look into this topic briefly that we're able to set our hearts and mind to the things that is to come. We look forward to the day where you do return. Lord, be with us now. Give us the attentiveness and the energy to absorb your word and to be changed and be conformed to your image. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen. In history, we have seen several groups and individuals uh, that have claimed that Christ is returning soon. One of our own Bay Area natives, Harold Camping, he's from Oakland, where I'm from, which is, I, is like a really terrible thing to be associated with. But Harold Camping has predicted that the world was going to end multiple times. The most recent one was on May 21st, 2011, and I remember even being in L.A., seeing these billboards saying, the world is going to come to end, are you ready? And when May 21st came, one of my friends was um, texting me, he was a non-believer, and I intentionally did not answer just to mess with him, so just so you think, well, maybe the rapture actually did happen then eventually some like he texts another believer friend and then he he responded, so it's like oh man we should all work together so we could troll our non-believer friends but when may 21st came and it didn't happen he moved the date back he said oh i miscalculated it is actually going to be october 21st 2011 and as that time came a pa- came and passed they didn't they didn't believe it uh, and nothing happened and then people you know a lot of people at the time his followers especially they sold <laughs> everything that they had to like, be part of this campaign, to try to convert people, to make people realize that the world's coming to an end. But those are just the recent ones. The, he, he's predicted the world was going to come to an end before in September 6, 1994. And for a while, he tried to use different passages and numbers and added and subtracted and multiplied to get those dates. And well, as we know, it didn't come to pass. There are cults uh, that has been built off this thing called the doomsday prophecies. And even recently, actually t- uh, today, when I was looking at, uh, on Instagram, Babylon B had this, Christian bookstore employee tasked with rotating out expired prophecy books. And I think that's, uh, and even when we look at our modern day, the way that we portray the second coming, these, these kind of end time things, is often portrayed in, in really fantastical kind of ways, like in a way that seems really fiction and to the point where I think it kind of diluted the church. It made the church almost feel like it's not going to happen. And I think this is part of the devil's plan for us to not take the second coming seriously. Harold Camping, when he before he passed away, um, he, he, he read Matthew 24, 36, was said that no one can know the date or when Christ will return. And it was weird because every other Christian was telling him that before. Like, you should have just listened to it the first time, the first 94. You would have been totally fine. But now, at the very end, he was known as a fraud. He even told every one of his followers that if you believe that you can figure out the, the end of the world, you are in sin. And he passed away like a few years ago. Now his radio ministry actually has some solid teachers there, but it's... You know, it dipped tremendously in terms of viewership and all of that. The rapture or the second coming is a unique doctrine for us because it is the next event that will happen in redemptive history. None of us will be able to experience the flood. We will not be able to see the Tower of Babel. We will never, see, we'll never be delivered from the hands of the Egyptians. None of us will ever be able to see what it was like uh, when Elijah was around. We'll never see the, the the walls of Jericho's fall. We'll never see any of these bi- these supernatural events anymore. We won't see the, the, the death and uh, resurrection of Christ in His first coming, but the second coming of Christ is something that we can potentially experience. I'm saying potentially because I'm not I'm not saying here like, oh yeah, like you were going to set a specific, specific date. Because again, no one will know the day and the hour. And it is true that no one knows, but it is imminent. Imminent means that it's something that will happen; it will happen soon, but we do not know when. There may be signs that the Bible speaks of how uh, there will be like almost like birth pains, where things will just get progressively worse and worse. But things will in between it could be better and it could get worse. But we do not know the exact time of when our Lord will return. It may or may not happen in our lifetime. In fact, every generation thinks that they're the last generation. But regardless, we need to look forward to this this event, and we must anticipate the return of our Savior. The SFBC on our website, it reads this in terms of the second coming. We believe in the rapture, the personal, imminent, and pre-tribulation and pre-millennial coming of the Lord Jesus Christ for his church and in the subsequent bodily return to earth with his church to establish his millennial kingdom. So with this in mind, I would like to split this message into two parts, into two big points. That is the rapture and then the second coming of Christ. And when I speak of the second coming, I want to, be, I want to start by talking about the rapture and then the second coming. The second coming or the second advent begins with the rapture of the church. I'll also start by saying that I want to focus more on the rapture side as opposed to the second coming because both, of the, especially the second coming is a really extensive topic. I'm just going to summarize what the Bible talks about in terms of how the world is going to end and how Christ is going to return. But if you want more detail, I would recommend studying the book of Revelation or the book of Daniel to give you a better idea of how Christ is going to return. Because of that, I want to speak both of the rapture and the return of Christ. I want to teach it in, in this order so that we can hold to both the rapture and the second coming of Christ. Uh, John 14, in that particular chapter, is a unique chapter because Christ was telling his followers, his close-knit, his 12 disciples, that he is going to go away. <clears throat> and in the context of that, that portion of John, Jesus told them that he's going to leave, and he's going to be persecuted, he's going to get killed, and he's going to go away. And this was something that just horrified the, the disciples. They did not understand what Christ was saying. They knew that he was the Messiah. They had some sort of conceptual knowledge of who he, who he is. They thought that he's going to reign forever, but Christ told them that he's going to die. But in, in John 14, 1-3, he makes this, this, this promise of hope, and that he is preparing a place for the believers, and he will come back and get them. All, of all the promises, this is the one that gave the disciples the most hope. And when Christ died, he rose again 40 days after he, after he returned. He ascended up, and, he was in, and this is what he was doing. This is what he's doing now. One of the things that uh, he's doing for us now, now is he's preparing a place for us. Christ will one day return, and he will take us home. And 1 Corinthians 15 speaks of how there will be this quick moment, this event where in the twinkling of an eye, we will be changed and we will be going from this body into this life to the next body, a glorified body in the next life. Christ, before his second coming, will snatch up believers for himself. And this is where we get to the passage tonight. So our first point is the rapture of the churches. And we're going to go in, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. Before that, I'd like to give a little background about the Thessalonian church. The Thessalonian church was a faithful church. Paul came into this area during his second missionary journey. And as usual, what Paul would do whenever he arrives in a new place, he will look for the synagogue. He'll find the place where there's the religious leaders, and he'll debate them. He'll try to convert them to Christianity. We see this in Acts 17. Paul would go and minister to the Jews and hope that they would come to know Jesus Christ. And some of these Jews believed. Some of these Jews came to saving faith, which would become the people of this church. (coughs) And as the church was growing, the persecution arose as well, and Paul had to leave this church behind. And he wasn't at this church for a very long time, but he, out of this persecution and just wanted to protect the church, he left this church. And this letter is written to the Thessalonian church in hopes to encourage them in light of persecution. Paul was concerned for the flock that he was separated from. This letter is to encourage them to continue to live a life of faithfulness to God and to look forward to the return of Christ. Remember, this is a time without, without electronics or Facebook or anything like that, so there's no way they knew what was going on around the world. So the people in the Thessalonian church, this small group of people, they thought that the rapture already happened. They thought that they somehow missed the rapture. And this church... Thought that they were under persecution because of some sin that they've committed. But Paul, in this letter as well as 2 Thessalonians, wrote this with this hope, in instructing and informing them that they did not miss the rapture. This is a faithful church. And when we this the term rapture, where do we get this from? If you look at verse 17 of 1 Thessalonians 4, you notice the word be caught up. This is where we get the idea from. This, this word. Rapture just basically means to snatch up to to be caught up in the air and is 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 used to to describe something that has happened really violently and very and very quickly. This word is describe something that just happens immediately it's like if if my daughter was crawling and I see her going towards. Like the street, and I grab her and pull her away so that, for her safety. That's the idea. It's like you quickly grab something, and, it, and, and, it's, and it's a violent word. It means it just snatch it extremely quickly. And then Christ uses this, this word, this exact same word, appears actually multiple times in the Gospels. Matthew eleven twelve, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven, suffering voices men take it by force. In Matthew thirteen nineteen. Um, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in the heart. This is the one whom whom seed was sown beside the road. This is the when Christ explained the parable of the soils. He's saying that the way that the devil snatches the heart away from the gospel away from the individual. That's the same word. This applies over and over again in John six fifteen. And as well as John 10 12, you can look at those later. This is a very strong language. This idea of being is violent is like basically violently taking someone out of a situation. And for every believer at the time, they understood that Christ would return one day. All of them assumed that Christ will return. And I believe that even Paul and the, as well as the people in this church believed that Christ was going to return in their lifetime. First Thessalonians. If you go back, 1 Thessalonians 9, 10, for they themselves reported about us what kind of a reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19, for who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at His coming, First Thessalonians three thirteen, so that He may establish your hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord with all His saints. This is a critical doctrine in their thinking that Christ was going to come back and rescue them. And the reason for <clears throat> this letter is, is found actually in verse eighteen of chapter four. That, they, that Paul wanted to comfort them. 4 18, therefore comfort one another with these words. These Christians were scared, they were nervous, <clears throat> they thought they missed out, which means that they had to suffer in the time of tribulation. But Paul's in, in, in informing them that, no, you guys did not miss in. Then he's trying to comfort them with this truth. So look at verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as those uh, grieve as do the rest who have no hope. The church was nervous because they weren't sure if those that died as well if they missed the rapture. They thought that if the rapture was gone, then maybe maybe they would go, and what would happen to those who died already in the faith? And they and he was not sure if they went they, they missed heaven. And Paul wanted to correct their thinking. There's this love that they have for one another, even for the saints that has passed. It was a love that caused them grief, and they were sad because they thought that if the believer dies that they missed this great event. They are aware of the word of the Lord, but they needed some correcting. They knew that Christ was going to come for his people, and that the day of the Lord will come to judge those outside the church. They were waiting for the rapture, but people just kept dying. They were wondering well, what's going on, is, is, did we miss this? They really anticipated and longed to be with our Savior. And I wonder if that's you today. Do you, do you find yourself longing to be with our Savior? Are you like the people in this church that's constantly anticipating and looking and praying for the Lord to return? These people were grieving over, over the people that they love who died and thought that they missed their home gathering. Those people, who already, the, the, those people who already would be like some sort of second-class floating spirit, they thought that if they're dead in the ground, they miss the rapture. That means that when they get into heaven, that they will just be these floating spirits as opposed to having their own bodies. And Paul here is trying to fix their thinking. You'll notice the word sleep. This word sleep is often used to describe death. The body is... The body is sleep is asleep it doesn't work anymore it's laying dead in the grave and it's never used to describe of the soul of the believer and that's a crucial understanding that when when we die our body does it just ceases it just stops but our soul is still alive it goes straight to be with the presence of the lord but our body is still in the grave it describes someone who's physically dead it is described that their body looking like they're asleep Never in the Bible to describe that the soul sleeps. Though nowhere in the Bible it talks about how the soul is somehow, like, decide to just sleep and then like wake up one day. And it was like several thousand years later or several hundred years later, whatever. Whenever Christ returns, it's just described as the body going to sleep and the soul is 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 present with the Lord. He's in the presence of God. There's no gap. There's no waiting. There's no soul sleep. There's no purgatory. When you die, you go right before the presence. Of God. 1 Corinthians uh, fifteen fifty-one. 51. Turn there real quick. 1 Corinthians 15, 15 51. Behold, I tell, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the For this perishable must go must put on the imperishable and this mortal bo- must put on the immortal and this is what's is going to happen when the rapture comes and we get to experience if we get to experience it, our body change from one to another there's no gap in between and for those who've died, they were in presence of the Lord and when they returned they'll, and when Christ returns a second time, we will have our glorified body. This is a hope that's designed to give Hope to, and comfort to those that are still in the church Verse fourteen for we for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. This is the condition for the hope that 's found in Jesus. The condition for this for the, to be part of this rapture, to have this glorified body one day is faith in Jesus Christ. It was in Jesus, Jesus bore our judgment, and is only That reason why we can raise up again is because Christ has dealt with our sin on the cross. Christ dying on the cross on our behalf so that we can be reconciled to this holy God. And if we believe the full gospel, we will have salvation and we will be with him. And that's how we understand this hope. Our death died when Christ died and rose again. Non-believers, they do not have this hope. Non believers do not have this hope that the Thessalonians and the the hope that we have if you're a Christian here. We live because He lives. Jesus conquered sin and death for every Christian. Christ will bring His people to Him. We die in Him and we'll also raise in Him as well. Paul's trying to comfort these believers who felt that they've lost their chance of the rapture. But Paul informs them that that is not the case, that those who are in Christ, They will be raised in Christ as well. This is significant because this means that there is no other way to heaven. Every other path leads to hell. There's a crucial understanding that almost every other religion has some sort of answer of what happens after a person dies, but only the Bible explains exactly what will happen you study any other religion or have any friends in other religious groups, they'll have some sort of idea of what might happen. But the Bible is definitive that the only way for a person to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. The Buddhists believe in reincarnation. The Hindus believe in a sort of reincarnation where you you try to get yourself to a a nirvana-like state. The Muslims believe in a sort of heaven where a man can have a whole bunch of virgins if they fulfill all their laws. The Mormons believe that you'll have your own planet. The list goes on and on, but the reality is outside of biblical orthodoxy, all of these other religions only lead to one place, and it's hell. No other religion offers hope. Only Christ offers hope. That's why Paul begins this discussion with the rapture and the day of the Lord with the description of the, of the gospel, he wanted to reinforce the people's hope that what they believe in is going to come to pass, that their faith is not in vain. Their salvation that's in Christ, all that Christ has said that he will do, it will come to pass. Verse 15, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain <laughs> until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Again, there are those that who thought that those who are dead are, or maybe they'll go later, or the, the, uh, there's some that there's some deficiency in the rapture when it comes. Up that maybe they'll be gone. But Paul again is trying to say that there's no first or second class in terms of who is important. Whenever when Christ comes, yeah, the dead goes first, and then and then the, the ones that are alive will still go. But there's no like ranking. It's not like the ones that who died first are somehow better than those who are still alive. People knew that Christ will return one day. This is even in Old Testament teaching. Notice that this, this phrase, the word of God. It is important because all the things that they, they knew about, uh, the rapture and all the things that they know, it's, it's, it's from scripture. We do not need to grieve over dead because they will be taken by God. Those who are alive when Christ returns, they will be living and dwelling on earth, just minding about their business, doing life. And then they will be instantly transformed. The dead saints are going to go first, but they're they're not in some sort of higher priority, or or just to try again trying to correct their thinking in terms of uh, who is better or who's more or less. No one will be left out. It's a point that Paul tried to get here. Their souls are not sleeping, but their bodies are, and their bodies again will come back one day. This is what Paul spoke about in 1 Corinthians 15. And the question that when you think about the the rapture is like what will our bodies look like? The answer is it, it does it's it's going to be perfect. It's going to be glorified. It's going to be without sin. And we don't know exactly what it's look like. Doesn't mean like a person is has like no hair. They're going to have like a really magnificent hair. And if someone is short, they're going to be tall. Or if someone's too tall, they're going to be like evened out. Like these aren't the discussion that really matters. The point is that we will be risen and have a body that's like Christ, and that we will not have a body that's tainted by sin. All Christians' body will go up to heaven and meet the Lord. Now, does this mean that a person needs to be physically buried? And I argue, no, you don't. There are, are Christians that think that, like, you have to, if you can't do cremation, because if you cremate the body, then there will be no rapture. But if, if that's true, then First and Second Peter will have some sort of instruction on why we need to be buried. Because in the context of First and Second Peter, Nero was there. He was burning Christians alive. If, if, if cremation was a necessity for, to have a bodily resurrection, he would inform the Christians to run instead of submitting to the government. He would tell them to, to ensure that someone buried you instead of letting the, these Christians burn, get, get burned uh, for Nero, because you know, Nero wanted, hated Christians. He, he just used Christians as lampposts. Cremation, all this, stuff, it doesn't matter. God knows how to reconstruct you. If you can make Adam from dust, he can remake your glorified body. The point is that like Christ will one day change your physical body and you'll have a glorified body. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. This is uh, Jesus Christ will one day descend back. This is again a reference to John 14 when Christ said that he is preparing a place and he's going to come and get us. In Acts 111, uh, you recall that after, um, after Christ rose again in front of a few hundred people, he ascended into the air, and then the, and they were all looking up, and then an the angel came down and said, Why are you staring up in the sky? He, uh, the Savior that has, descend, that has ascended will one day descend back, and he will come back. And, this is, and Paul is saying the same thing, that Jesus Christ will descend from the heaven. He's going to bring with him those that are dead and those that are alive. This is the work of Jesus. Jesus comes down to get us, not the angels. Jesus himself comes down. The angel blows this trumpet so that people know that he's here, but Jesus is the one that comes. And we have to make this distinction that when we talk about the rapture and the second coming, they're actually two separate events. The rapture happens first, and then eventually the second coming, which I'll explain later. But it, when we say the second coming, we're not actually thinking about the rapture. They there should be categorized as two separate things. The rapture is the first event of the second coming, but it's not the second coming. So when Christ comes down in the second, during this rapture, he's actually staying in the air. He gathers all those to him in the skies. He's not, uh, he doesn't actually touch the ground. That will be later in the second coming. Jesus will come. He'll be in the, in the sky, and he'll take us to him. In the second coming, though, he Will come and then he will he'll land exactly where he ascended and then the whole uh, all Mount all, Mount of Olives will break in half and then the rivers will go through and that's where he'll establish his kingdom forever, but that's again later in the Book of Revelation. You notice this word shout. This is a military term. It's calling people to attention in, in proper order. And when the Lord comes to get his church, there will be this shout. And here comes. He, he, here he comes and, and he commands the dead, he commands the believers to rise to him. You'll notice this archangel. It is unknown which of the angels it is. Some people think it's Gabriel, some people think it's Michael, some think it's some other angel. It's not the point. I don't think that's the main focus. But the main focus is that there will be some angel of high ranking that's, that's, that, that's going to make this noise to let people know that Christ is here. This this trumpet of God is a a picture that is even in the Old Testament. This instrument is used all over. It's generally used to call people to assemble together. It can be used both in a positive sense and a negative sense. In Exodus 19, people were called out to the camp to meet with God. Paul speaks, in this case, for believers to be aware that the Lord is here. If you've been to... Any sporting event, you will understand what that's like, you know. I remember those football games. It was like those long, or actually, like World Cup. Those like long horns, you know, they blow into it, those little trumpet things. It's it's designed for you to fix your eyes on a specific location and to give you an attention and let you know what's going on. The same thing here, but when when this angel blows or uh, this trumpet, this this voice this, that blows the trumpet of God, everyone will see and they'll know. That Christ is here. And it's interesting because even though this angel appears and blows his trumpet, there's still going to be those who do not believe. There are going to be those who see this event happen. They're going to, you can, some non believers are going to be around Christians. They're going to see them ascend and raptured away, and they're still going to not believe. There will be some that their heart is so hardened to God and his word that even if they see something this miraculous last major event before, before he comes and destroys everything, people will still not believe. Zacchaeus 9 9.14 talks about this trumpet of deliverance for those who are believers. When the archangel blows the trumpet, believers will be taken into the presence of the Lord and in their glorified bodies. And the result is that the dead that are in Christ will rise first. Hebrews 6.12 reads, Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ. Let us press on to the maturity, not laying again the foundations of repentance from, the de- from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washing and laying of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgments. It was normal in Jewish understanding that God will bring his people back. In Daniel chapter 12, the righteous Israel will be brought back to life. And if you are in Christ and you die you'll, and you still belong to him, And notice this crucial phrase, that those that are in Christ. It is important that, again, Paul's trying to illustrate the fact that what's most important, what is the key thing that you need to know to not miss the rapture, is that you are in Jesus Christ. Verse 17. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord it will come at a time where people are not expecting and it will happen quickly. We'll be going up into the clouds. We'll meet the Lord in the air. And I love just how this, this portion ends. Because once we're caught up into the air, you'll notice that we will always be with the Lord. This is the greatest comfort. This is what we're looking forward to. To live is Christ and to die as gain. And for us Christians, our, our desire is to be able to see our Savior one day. He is our greatest treasure, and when he takes us home and we see him, he will never leave us. Now, we know that objectively, because he's omnipresent, that he is always with us, and the Holy Spirit dwells in us. But at this event, if it happens in our lifetime, we actually get to see our Savior. He's, we get to see him face to face. And what a, what a magnificent joy to be able to finally see our Savior. Peter speaks about how we love him even though we've never seen him. And one day we will see him, and, we, and our hearts will be overwhelmed with gratitude and joy. No longer will we be in doubt, but every single doubt will be remedied because we see our prize. The one that we long for, the one we look to, is finally before us, and we are with him forever, and he with us forever. So we talk about the rapture. What happens after that? What happens to us when we get to be with Christ? In the rapture, Christ comes, and he, gets, he grabs all the saints, both the ones that are dead and alive. But when he returns a second time, he is coming with his saints, which gets to our second point, the second coming. Again, for this section, I'm just going to summarize because there's a lot of detail, and we can jump over all of these different passages, and I don't want to overwhelm you, so, I'm just going to summarize it, but I do want you, to, if you're interested in this, to, to research it on your own. Um, I just want to just kind of give you like, a little appetizer to see a little taste of what it's like when Christ returns. I would recommend, uh, and we, we had it in a Sunday school, we talked through the book of Revelation. Uh, at some point, we'll teach it again. If, that's, if this is a topic that you're interested in, whenever we have the rotation again, just be a part of that Sunday school class. So, after the rapture, when we get caught up in the air, uh, again, we'll never be separated from him. And this event is called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. So think of it as like two things happening, happening at once. As the rapture happens, we go up into the air and with the Lord, and we're celebrating with him in heaven. We are with him. We get to enjoy him for, these, for, for the seven-year time. And on, uh, on heaven, that's like what we're going to be doing. We're going to be to enjoy our Savior. But as this is happening for the saints in heaven, on earth... This is when there's going to be this thing called seven-year tribulation. Um, and the first three and a half years is this false peace that they have that the Antichrist comes, and he's, he gets people to follow him. He gives this false assurance. And I think part of the reason why there's this fake joy and happiness in this first three and a half years is because the Christians are gone. There's no, no longer the people confronting them on sin. No longer are there people that are trying to share the gospel to them and try to convert them. They see these Christians go, and they think, this is great. This is great. What a great opportunity. We, let's all celebrate. Not knowing that the, for this first three and a half years, they're essentially gaining, uh, the Lord's actually just going to give them doom, and he's, he's, they're acquiring judgments. This first three and a half years, the Antichrist gets people to follow him, in the last three and a half years, the Lord pours out his judgment on them. The book of Revelation talks about these different types of judgment, these bold judgments, and these other types of judgment that's used to show that God is indeed the one true God. The Antichrist comes, he wants people to worship him. He uses his different religions to try to get his end. And this these these last seven years is essentially God pouring out all his entire wrath. And it's a means for which the for really the Israelites to repent. We see that the 144,000 comes to saving faith. They see all of this happening, and then they get rep- and they repent. The question is, are there other Christians that can be saved at this time? I would argue, yes, there will be. There will, the, not just the Jews, but there will be also some people that see all those events, and they will actually come to know faith know the Lord in faith. But at the same time, some people in Revelation speaks of how they see all of this stuff happening, and instead of repenting, they, hide, they want to hide under a rock. Because they said they, were, they, don't, they wanted to try to hide from God. So even though they see all this destruction, all of this plagues, and, and, and even they try to escape death, it says in Revelation that they can't even have death. Even though all of this is happening, there's still people that do not want to repent. In 1 Thessalonians, and I argue that this is there's different views in terms of the rapture and where it happens and stuff, but I would argue that the reason why the church is raptured before this time of tribulation is because in First Thessalonians five it tells in First Thessalonians five nine, for God has not destined us for wrath, before obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Revelation as well, one of the churches that, that He promised that He will not let them into this time of destruction, and and as we think about this this. This It should, it should prov- provoke us in, in two ways. One, it should give us joy. Because if you're a believer, you will escape it. You don't have to worry about this. Because if you think persecution is bad now, it's okay. The Lord, vengeance belongs to the Lord. All things that you may have felt that was unfair and just, the Lord will deal with it. And we just need to be faithful, like this church. The, the Thessalonian believers were faithful. This is a time, this tribulation, where, where the church is gone and, this is, and it's a means to draw the Israelites back to Him, now after the seven years, Christ will have this thing called the, the Millennial Kingdom. There's a thing called the Millennial Kingdom where uh, where there's like a, where Satan and his all his followers will be contained for a thousand years, and all the saints, that, all the Israelites that survived, all the saints that believed, they enter into this one this kingdom for a thousand years. And after the thousand years, that's when Christ comes. He, he, he comes, and, and that's what's called the second coming. And he, he touches the ground, again, the Mount of Olives cracks in half, and he reigns forever. The second coming is the scripture that speaks of the day where Christ begins his reign on earth. The return of Jesus functions as an important transition from this age to the righteous kingdom of Jesus. And the Old Testament speak of this day as well, in Zechariah 14, 3, 4, And the context is a siege in Jerusalem that leads people to return to the Lord. And since this prophecy did not occur when Christ first came, it must refer to a second coming. And Jesus ascended from the Mount of Olives and Acts. He returned in the same place. And the second coming of Christ is, again, in two phases. Jesus will descend from heaven to grab all his believers. And then after the seven-year tribulation, after all the divine wrath comes, The second coming is when he comes to establish his kingdom on earth. I know that's a lot, and it's like I'm just kind of throwing a lot of summary information. Again, if you want to dive into it, you could just read the book of Revelation, or there's different commentaries and books that can help kind of break down the little details. Um, But in light of all of this, in light of understanding the rapture and the second coming, or or the day of the Lord, the question is, what should we do now? Because this is all stuff that's going to happen down the line, but what are we supposed to do today? i have five points for us, five quick kind of applicational points for us. In light of knowing what the, the, that the, the rapture is going to happen at some point, it's imminent. We don't know when, but it's imminent, and that the Lord will return one day. What should we do with this? First, be ready. Be ready. The church was always looking for the return of Christ. This church here, Thessalonians, they were anticipating the Lord's return, and it gave them this fear, and hope that propel them to live a life of godliness. There's a, there is a correlation between anticipating Christ's return and living in a manner that's worthy of his name. You'll notice that in 1 Thessalonians 2, uh, verse 10, you are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you, believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children so that you would walk in a manner worthy of God who called you into his own kingdom and glory. These people lived knowing that one day the Christ will return. And Jesus even spoke about this, that it's going to happen like a thief in the knife. It's something that you're not anticipating, so be ready and if you think about your own life, if you, I don't know if you, were, if you were like as bad as I was as a kid, but when I was a kid and I knew that my mom was going to go be gone for two hours, I would try my best to try to do as much as I can in like an hour and a half and then do the last three minutes to fix everything so that she does not know what I did at home. But I, you know, I anticipated her return, so I tried to behave a certain way when the time was close. And as Christians, we don't know when that time is, so we need to always be ready we need to prepare our hearts and our life to live in such a way that is holy. If you knew that Jesus would come at a specific date, would you live differently? If you don't know that you should live differently now, Christian must always be ready for this day. We are nearer now than we were when we first became a believer. Second Peter 3, uh, verse 3 to 7. Know this, first of all. That in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust, and saying Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep all continue as it was from the beginning of creation, for they maintain this it escapes their notice that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, and through which the world at one time at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heaven and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction for ungodly men. God, at this point, why Christ has not returned yet is because he's, he's preparing his elect. He's, he's still preparing those who believe in him. He's giving time for some of the people here to turn and place their faith in Jesus Christ. We don't know who the elect are, only God does, and therefore you need to be ready. If you are here and you are not a believer, you need to be ready. You need to soften your heart to the gospel and place your faith in him. You need to make sure that even those who claim that Christ will not return and maybe mock you for it, that, that they be ready too. You need, no matter how much people insult us for believing in this, we need to plead with them to come to saving faith again there 's those mockers they 've existed long ago, and remember back in the time of Noah, he and his family spent decades building this ark. they were mocked, they laughed at him they were talking about, they were mocking him, saying things like, "Where is this flood that the Lord is talking about? The Lord is this flood that you guys t- uh, told us about and It took decades and decades before christ 's destruction came. You need to be ready. the rapture will come at a time where you Least expected. Romans 13, 11, Do this knowing the time that is already the hour for you to awaken from a sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. This is the reality of all of us. That as each day passes, we're getting closer and closer to that day. And may we be found ready. Second, be holy Again, if you imagine if you were in this church, this was a faithful bunch because they lived with the reality that Christ can return anytime and it compelled them to be a holy people. This is a church that does not, this is a church that Paul does not confront for anything morally. There are certain epistles that Paul wrote that has that, like I think Corinth and I think Galatians are like, like books that Paul's writing specifically because they've done something wrong. But Thessalonians and Philippians, these are some of the few books where. Paul doesn't actually confront them on any sin, any major doctrinal thing. And I think this church was faithful and holy because, again, they knew that Christ was going to come back. They were this way because they had this constant thought that Christ will return soon, and they did not want to be found in sin when their Savior is in the sky. I wonder if that's why certain churches or certain church members fall into sin because they fail to realize that Christ is returning soon. The more we remember that Christ is coming back, the more we're compelled to fight sin and be a holy people. Second Peter, in chapter 3, he, he, he speaks of the second coming as well, and he ends with this, Second Peter 3.14, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, meaning the end times, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. Not only do we need to be ready or be holy, but thirdly, we need to be encouraged. (coughs) Third, we need to be encouraged. There will be an end. No matter how bad your life is, there will be an end. And it's always in the positive. For the Christian, we should be encouraged knowing that our end is with him. No matter how bad your life is, your eternity is going to be filled with joy. So be encouraged. The type of suffering, the type of physical affliction, the type of loneliness, the type of disease, the type of persecution, or any type of pain that you feel will one day pass. But for now, continue to look forward to that day. Look forward to that hope that we will have in Christ. And be comforted knowing that Christ is preparing a place in heaven for you. It's a place where there's no tears or pain. Not only do we need to be encouraged, be holy, be ready, but fourthly, we need to be evangelizing. I wonder if a person can truly take the rapture or the day of the Lord or the second coming of Christ seriously if they are not evangelizing. You must see this next event as imminent and something that affects you and everyone around you. Don't assume, that, don't assume that there will be someone else that can evangelize the, your loved ones for you. Assume that you are the only one that can bring the gospel to them. Assume that no one else in the world can share the gospel except for you. When you have this mentality, being this lone soldier in the life that you're in, you would be compelled to share the gospel because you know that Christ is coming back. And for the believers, you know that they're coming back to rescue you. But when Christ comes back for the non-believer, it is destruction for them. You must love those people in your life enough to get over your fears and share the gospel with them. Assume for a moment that you are the only person, the only loved one in their life that can hear the gospel. And the only one that can hear the gospel is through your lips. Let this reality of the rapture and the day of the Lord Settle in your minds and compel you to go and evangelize to those who do not know Christ because you don't want them to endure this day of the Lord. You don't want them to suffer. This is a very painful, painful time. And what's worse is some people will go through some of this trial, this day of the Lord, and still reject Christ. Plead with them. Let the reality of the day of the Lord be real to you because it's in Scripture. It will happen. Not only do we need to be evangelizing, but lastly, we need to be vigilant. There will be false teachers that will come and attempt to make you think that the end is near or even the opposite. There will be false teachers that will come to make you think that the end will never come. And Christ spoke of this we need to not worry about those claims because, at the end, we have God's word. God's word is authoritative in our lives. You may be laughed at, you may be scoffed, people may look down on you, you may not get this promotion, you might not get the passing grade, but what's more important is the word of God. This is the thing that will last forever. No one will be able to should be able to sway you otherwise. There will be those that will come and say, like, "Hey, like the end of the." The, the end of the world is next week just know definitively that is not no that's not true trust that the lord that has already has said that no one will know no one will know when this time will be and many people will try to sway you and both of them are wrong whether they whether it comes now a specific time or it doesn't come at all they're both wrong christ will return and When he believes that is the perfect time, and until then, we need to be vigilant and guard our hearts from false teaching. Second Peter three, uh, verse seventeen, eighteen. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, so you're not carried away by the errors of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. But bow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. There is a definitive end for the Christian. For the Christian, we know that at some point, whether it's our lifetime or not, there will be a rapture, and then and all of and the day will become a day where Christ will come, he will unleash his judgment onto the world. And in that time there will be a day a time day where no one will struggle anymore. For the believers, there's a time where there's no more struggle. But until then, let's continue to strive for obedience and faithfulness to the Lord. We don't know when he is coming, but we want to be found faithful when he does return. May we strive to be ready, be holy, be encouraged, be evangelizing, be vigilant as we wait for our king to come and, get, and rescue us. I'll end with this. Revelation twenty two twenty. He who testified to these things says, I am coming quickly. And John writes, amen, come, Lord Jesus. Let us pray. Lord, we're thankful for this privilege to again dive into your word. Lord, may your scripture be more real to us each day as we grow closer and closer to you, Lord, whether it is through rapture or through death, each and every single day that passes is us being closer to you, Lord, we long for you to be with you, whether it is through death or through your your coming down and taking us, Lord, please come quickly. We are people that are frail and are struggling with just our affections from the things of the world and things from above. Lord, we don't want to struggle anymore. We don't want to fight sin, because it is difficult, because the flesh can be really tempting, but you do provide the grace. And it is your will that we stay, that we live out our lifetime without you returning. May, may us be a holy people. May we be ready when you come, and may we be faithful in our evangelism. Lord, ask for all of us, as we Go about our weekend and our days that we are always mindful of the day that you will return. Be with us as we have our discussions now that it would be edifying and encouraging to all of us. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen.